Chapter Five of With Sack and Stock in Alaska by George Broke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. Chapter Five: Further Advance and My Retreat. Thursday, the twenty-sixth. A beautiful sunrise ushered in a splendid day, and we turned out at four o'clock. At five thirty, Ed with Matthew and Mike started down to bring up the stores left in the cache by the guyot glacier and a half an hour later the rest of us descended the slopes to the guyot as a long lake cut us off from going directly to the tyndall glacier once on the ice we curved round to the north making for the northeast extremity of the opposite hills the glacier was fairly flat and not much broken though there was a good many small crevasses in the white ice as we approached the hills all these glaciers are shrinking so rapidly that crevasses generally of considerable size are always to be found anywhere near their edges and as these are all naturally nearly always parallel to their direction they are sometimes a great nuisance we got on to the hills at nine thirty gums showed us schwatka's last camping place and after rummaging about a bit in the bushes produced the niagara crampons brought by professor libby the last hill which rose about two hundred feet above the glacier was almost isolated from the rest and we pushed on over the low coal between it and the main mass putting up several coveys of ptarmigan as we went over the grass and through patches of alder scrub in a few minutes we came to the glacier again between it and the land was another small lake on which were numerous geese but we made no attempt at the time to molest them two fair-sized streams ran into this and as gums declared wrongly as usual that we should find no firewood further on we halted directly after crossing the first of these the men then returned except jimmy and billy who were to stay with us as before shorty and harry were to remain at camp g and the rest to go down to the beach and return in about ten days by which time we expected to have done our possible though our hopes of getting to the top were very faint by this time as they departed along the edge of the lake we saw them waving and pointing but could not make out what it was all about after resting a while h and w went off to explore while e stewed a goose and i made bread and pitched the tent our camp was on the edge of a low cliff above the stream and at the extreme verge of this a bear had been squatting in the long grass the indians utilized this spot as their camping place h and w did not return till half past eight decidedly despondent they found a relic of seton carr on the tyndall glacier in the shape of an empty tomato can we came to the conclusion that we should have to go on a good deal nearer the foot of the mountain before establishing a base camp and that we must get hold of lyons and shorty friday the twenty seventh we spent a quiet morning looking over our stores and made the painful discovery that a large portion of the oatmeal biscuits which had not before been unpacked had gone mouldy so we spread them out in the sun to dry directly after lunch w went off to sleep at g and bring men back next day and h and e took the indians with light loads to the proposed site for the new camp the disadvantage of which was the apparent absence of fuel i followed up the course of our camp stream finding fresh and large bear tracks to a curious cirque a promising couloir filled with hard snow presenting itself 
i worked up to a height of perhaps two thousand feet when there came a break in my gully i tried to turn it but the rock was of the same rotten clay consistency that i had before encountered and i had to give it up so glissaded down to my couloir and returned to camp where i had got supper ready by the time the others came back saturday the twenty eighth the nights were now very cold but the weather continued glorious the indians got off at seven thirty and we followed them in a few minutes about a hundred yards beyond our camp the second stream had cut a deep precipitous gully but we had found a good place to cross this just opposite to where a small stream came in on the other side and we then followed up this stream flushing sundry ptarmigan there was very little scrub here our route lying over what were apparently grassy uplands in reality there was little or no grass the vegetation consisting of willow herbs veratrum ranunculus mallow violas and many others some of which were strange to us but doubtless common enough in america i noticed a scarlet flower which i had seen in abundance on the pacific slope of the canadian pacific railway which is i believe known to botanists as castilea miniata it is something like a rattle but the calyx is scarlet and the real flower green or at least it looks as if it was just as we were getting on to the glacier which was here a slight outflow from which the stream that we were following up emerges we saw a brown bear about a half a mile ahead on a green knoll which was nearly surrounded by ice he said how easily we could cut that fellow off if we only had our rifles and we sighed in chorus a little later we found that had we been able to attempt such a manoeuvre it would only have ended in gnashing of teeth for our furry friend on seeing us had gone straight down on to the glacier and we now saw him a mile away going straight for st elias and steeple-chasing gaily over the intervening crevasses we had a rather bad bit of ice here and in the future the men always went over the hill where his bearship had been which was fearfully steep but saved a good piece we then crossed two glaciers coming in from the west which were curiously different in appearance the first subsequently christened the daisy glacier was about a mile wide and six miles long beautifully smooth and white with hardly a crevasse in it except at its junction with the tyndall at which point it was lower than the glacier into which it flowed the other which we called the coal glacier was rather smaller say five miles long by twelve hundred yards wide was a good deal broken and was covered with debris among which we found lots of coal which burnt fairly well in our campfire the mountains adjacent were sandstone with great seams of coal plainly visible the amount of debris on the surface of the coal glacier protected it so much more from waste than the daisy glacier that its level was about the same as that of the tyndall on the north side of this we put down our packs and the men returned to h for more with instructions to bring up a load of fuel as well this proved to be unnecessary as there was still enough alder around camp i to supply us with firewood h e and i then went up the tyndall glacier we had gone about a mile and the others were some little way ahead when in jumping a crevasse the elastic of my snow spectacles gave way and one of the glasses got broken as they were my only pair and i am hopelessly short-sighted so that ordinary ones are no use here was a fearful catastrophe i shouted to the others that i was going back and returned shortly to camp 
from previous experience in switzerland i knew i could use no makeshift without fearfully delaying the others the risk of ophthalmia too from which i had once suffered was not lightly to be risked in these desert places and i reluctantly came to the conclusion that i must abandon all idea of climbing it was a fearful nuisance after coming so far but was partly attributable to my carelessness in not bringing two proper pairs instead of these and a ramshackle old pair which i found at sitka to have come to grief on the journey this was due to the haste with which i had had to leave england my first idea was to return to the beach so as not to be wasting the food we had brought up with so much labour but no one could be spared to go down with me and the others were opposed to my going alone so i consented to wait for them i then pitched the tent to do which i had to excavate part of the hill and remove a good many boulders about six o'clock the shrill whistles of the marmots which were very plentiful here heralded some one's approach and a few minutes later w arrived followed by the four men h and e came in ten minutes later having had rather a bad time among the big crevasses of the tyndall glacier many of which were more than partly covered with snow shorty said they were waving at the lake as they went down to point out that the geese were leaving the water and climbing on to the moraine so that we might have cut them off but we had not understood sunday the twenty ninth a cool gray day with high clouds the first break in the brilliant weather which began on the twenty first the other three with lyons and shorty left at seven a m to make a high camp on the other side of the tyndall glacier they took the big white tent and the edgington ground sheet with provisions for about four days their intention being to try to reach at least the upper rim of the so-called crater on the south arete soon afterwards i took billy and jimmy leisurely down to camp h for more stores and as shorty had said my going round the lake sent the geese up the moraine billy and jimmy lay in ambush and succeeded in slaying four with ice axes i got back first to camp h lit a fire and had to make a damper as there was no baking powder in the sack of flour there by making it quite thin it turned out very palatable and after lunching off this and some of the dried salmon which was a trifle high by this time we set off home again billy carrying the hams fish beans and one goose jimmy a box of stores and medicines and another goose while i took the other two we plucked singed and cleaned them all and then buried three in the snow on the glacier we had the fourth for supper with an entree of foie gras not very gras and bacon and as i felt lazy i commanded billy to make the bread the result was so excellent that he remained chief baker while i was alone and i fancy he washed his hands quite as often as i did at this camp there were hardly any flies or mosquitoes the former of which plagues had been terrible down at h after supper the men went after marmots but of course without getting any and i saw them clambering up and down the most breakneck looking places behind the camp they showed no distaste for ice but they were never on snow and we never had occasion to use the rope with them monday the thirtieth in the morning there were light clouds but the sun was more or less visible and from its position i judge we got up about eight o'clock finn and h were the only two whose watches were still going and they didn't agree particularly well i spent the morning in camp washing myself and my clothes cleaning my revolver etc 
in the afternoon i set out up the rocks behind camp they were very rotten and i got into considerable difficulties especially at one point where my foothold having disappeared i dangled for some time by my fingers in imminent expectation of returning to camp in a rather undignified not to say disorderly manner at last i got a knee up on the ledge and soon stood on the ridge in which was seen a large seam of coal six or eight feet wide along this crest then over snow beds and then up more rock always more or less rotten i reached a height of between four and five thousand feet from which i had a magnificent view of the wide sweeps of the tyndall glacier below me but to the north and west i was cut off by the spurs of the peak i was on it was very thick in the south and rain was evidently driving up so i determined to descend promptly and by making a detour to the right found a much easier way down and got in just as the rain began it was only slight and kindly left off during supper but then went on all night tuesday the thirty first in the morning the camp was enveloped in thin clouds as the sun was quite invisible we had no ideas of time but just after breakfast while we were still sitting round the fire the rain having let off and the clouds dispersed a good deal the men suddenly said coots the guttural being the same as in the arabic kamshin something like the german ich and looking up at once i saw two bears leisurely crossing the stones on the coal glacier about three hundred yards off going diagonally across the point below us hurriedly telling the indians to keep quiet i sneaked down to the tent got h s big telescope how i longed for a rifle and had a splendid view of them the first was the much talked of blue bear at last the body was slate colour much lighter on the back with a well-marked white crescent on the shoulders while the head was nearly if not quite black he was decidedly smaller than the other which was an undersized cinnamon the blue one was also much neater looking and smarter in his gait the pair resembling a park hack followed by a cart horse the brown one had i think seen the tent for he kept stopping and staring in our direction but the blue kept quietly on and when he reached the point at about two hundred yards from camp he lay down in the long grass the other came on after him but instead of lying down wandered about in a restless manner after about five minutes the blue one got up and followed by the brown came leisurely towards us along the slope i heard the men whispering nervously together behind my back and when the bears were about a hundred yards off they couldn't stand it any longer but gave vent to a most fiendish yell which made me nearly drop the telescope while the bears puffing and snorting rushed wildly up the hill and disappeared over the ridge i went down to inspect their tracks at a place where they had crossed a small patch of snow at the edge of the glacier and found them to be totally different the blue had gone with his heel down the whole time like the black bear while the brown's track showed only the print of the fore part of the foot from this and from the general appearance of the animal i have but little doubt that these blue ones are a variety of the black bear no doubt as in the case of the black bear in other parts of america they will breed with the brown ones and hence puzzling variations are met with such as a skin i afterwards saw at yakutat which had been obtained near dry bay and was of a uniform yellowish gray halleck is the only author on alaska in whose works i have found any mention of this bear he says 
our new alaska page one sixty six up on the ridges back of mount st elias which constitute a favorite sick hunting ground for goats is found a bear similar to the roachback or silver tip of the rockies but of a beautiful bluish undercolor with the tips of the long hairs silvery white the traders call it the st elias silver bear in another place page one sixty he says besides there is a small albino bear found on the coast which is known as the coast bear being white and a good deal about the ice in winter some have supposed it to be a variety of polar bear but the zoologists dispute it my own impression is that these bears are the same the white variety not being an albino but the blue bear with its winter coat on i could only hear of two of these white bears having been killed one at chilcat the other on the taku glacier near juneau and this latter was described as having been almost white the blue skins are also very rare as much as seventy five dollars being given for a good one they seem to rather prefer the company of their brown brethren as shorty a few days later saw three bears on the glacier of which one was brown and two blue and anthony the sitka watchmaker whom we first met at yakutat whither he had come prospecting up the coast met four near dry bay some brown some blue but i forget the exact proportion after lunch i set to work to prepare a sumptuous supper as i expected the others back that evening i made a pudding by boiling rice and dried peaches together and even added some sugar which had become a rare and precious commodity so that i did not use it while the others were away i then left the pot in the snow to cool put a goose to stew on a slow fire and wandered up a little way beyond camp to make a sketch of the glacier about five o'clock the weather improved the clouds gradually disappearing and the sun being pleasantly warm the others did not return and the pudding was so good that about half of it was eaten at supper but i put the rest by for the next day after supper i went out on to the tyndall glacier and had a grand view of the mountain though there were still some clouds about i could see no sign of the others but took a lot of bearings wednesday august the first it was so cold in the night that i woke up several times and got up pretty early having the tent all to myself and without the ground sheet no doubt contributed to this making bread for breakfast exhausted the flour so i started the men off to get some more from camp h and went down with them as far as the daisy glacier on the way i had to pitch into master jimmy pretty severely the crevasses at the junction of the coal and tyndall glaciers gave us some little trouble from having kept too near to the latter and one of these was spanned by an exceedingly frail snow bridge merely glancing at it i went some thirty yards lower down and looking back as i crossed saw to my horror that though billy was following me all right jimmy who had been a little behind was crossing the rotten bridge which he traversed in safety but two or three strokes of my ice-sack sent it tinkling into the depths and why it did not give way with him is a great mystery jimmy looked rather awestruck and i pointed out to him with some vigor the necessity of following absolutely in my tracks the weather was again perfect and on arriving at the daisy glacier i let them go on while i turned on to the glacier up which i went for nearly three miles when my eyes began to ache a good deal and as some shrunds appeared which threatened to prove awkward for a solitary climber i returned in the lower part of the daisy there are hardly any crevasses 
and in consequence there are some very fine moulins while the surface was there in many parts very swampy if such an expression can be used a thin crust of snow overlying the wet glacier as i had expected it had a small outflow on its southern side about a half mile from its junction with the tyndall and the stream from this augmented by another from the latter glacier runs into the little lake by camp h and so gets back to the glacier i made a slight sketch of mount st elias from the terminal moraine and got back to camp about one o'clock estimated visiting on the way the big blocks on the coal glacier the biggest of which probably contained about six thousand cubic feet i found that the others had been over for stores and the kerosene stove and h had left a note saying that i could go down and wait for them at g and that they would be back in four days among other things they had carried off the small kettle with the remains of the rice pudding and so got their share after all they left the skins of four young marmots to be stretched and dried these afterwards vanished when we were camped at yakutat presumably the prey of some indian dog the men came back about two o'clock and after lunch we also went hunting marmots which they called tsak but though we got pretty near one or two and dug up a great deal of the hillside the only results were the expenditure of a few revolver cartridges and the not uncommon one of smashing the stock of an ice axe chapter five